HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guest. And my guest today is Tim Kushman, who is the chef owner of Oya, a Japanese restaurant in Boston, where he earned numerous awards, including 2008 Food and Wine Magazine Best New Chef and 2012 James Beard Awards Best New, New Chef Northeast. And Tim just opened uh, Oya New York City in Gramercy last month with his wife and business partner, Nancy Kushman. Well, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you very much and thank you for having us. So, um, how's Oya New York doing? Uh, it's doing great. We've only been open for about four weeks um, and uh, the response has been uh, just really great, really very positive. Uh, so, we're, you know, so far so good and we're very happy. Yeah, great. So, congratulations on the opening. Thank you. Right. So, uh, before we talk about Oya, um, how did you get into cooking? Originally, I heard that uh, you were becoming a musician. Uh, yes, I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in music from Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And uh, I grew up in the Boston area and uh, actually grew up, our family hunted and, uh, and, and cooked a lot. Um, wow. I never thought of being a chef then, but uh, I think it just was ingrained uh, in me from, from early on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did take my first job out of high school, and this was in the 1970s, so I'm dating myself uh, here. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, 
there was at a farm that had an ice cream stand, and they mm. used to make the ice cream out of uh, from the cow's milk mm. that was on the farm. Uh, but again, I it, I wasn't you know thinking of being right. a chef. Well, at, it was a farm all. to table back then already. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it was it was really good ice cream, um, and and they also had a farm stand and the vegetables and, and everything. Uh, and then when I it was uh, I went to Berkeley and I graduated in 1980. And my last my last year in 1979, I, I got a job in a restaurant in Boston in Faneuil Hall. Hmm. Um, but it was it was really just uh, Faneuil Hall had just opened I think a year prior to that, or had opened up all the kind of boutique shops that were there. And um, and this was a real a real simple restaurant. And again, it was a summer job for me. Hmm. Um, and then uh, I worked there for about a half a year, and then we, I left for California mm. in 1980. Right, because so. California is like a music mecca. So yes, you to- yeah, I wanted to go where where it was at, so right. to speak. Um, and uh, so I moved to, to Los Angeles in 1980, and uh, kind of a classic story, I, I didn't have a car or any money, mm. so I, there was a restaurant down the street, and, right. uh, and I got a job in the restaurant, and, and it turned out... Um, uh, the name of the restaurant was Courtney's. It was in Manhattan Beach in uh, Southern California. And uh, the chef, uh, his name is Robert Bell, mm-hmm. um, who was ac- actually from New York, uh, yeah. was, uh, was very creative and, and inventive. So it, it piqued my, my curiosity. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, w- w- just started out as a dishwasher and, and a prep cook. And mm-hmm. I, again, I thought it was just going to be a job to hold me off until I got on a got in a band and went on tour with Led Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> um, but um, so uh, kind of quickly, I really started enjoying uh, mm. working in the restaurant and uh, I started cooking more than prepping. Mm. And um, Because and you were a musician and creative and the kitchen work also. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, all of a sudden it, uh, it just something went off and I, I still really hadn't committed. It probably took me a year before I thought, well, maybe I want to cook, uh, mm. you know, and, and keep doing this. And uh, the big change came when I uh, started working at a restaurant called Trump's, which is in West Hollywood. Uh, it's not related to Donald Trump in any way. Um, but it was, the chef there was Michael Roberts, and um, it was uh, very California. Um, there was We had uh, lunch, uh, afternoon tea, where there was a harp player that would play, and all the Hollywood women would come out and, and do tea, right. and then dinner would start at 6, and, uh, and it was very California, it was kind of stucco whitewashed inside, mm. and there was the art um, uh, rotated every month, we even had some Andy Warhol Right. Paintings, uh, so it's very a real eclectic uh, mm. restaurant. Right, and the California cuisine, well, as far as I understand, it's more like uh, ingredient based, which yeah. I think is your style. Now. A- absolutely, and, and California was a, a huge influence on uh, whatever I do now. Still, because um, I remember back then, this then being 1981, 1982, I remember the chef uh, gave me the keys to his car and said to go over to this person's front yard. There were some wild nasturtiums uh, or nasturtiums growing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> go pick some and bring them back. <laughs> so we you know, we came back and we did a, a dish with nasturtium butter um, uh, with a grilled wood grilled fish. Nice. Um, so it, and we used to have actually one of our line cooks had a, her own little mini lettuce farm. So mm. um, it was kind of what you're seeing today was happening uh, mm. way back then. It's amazing. Uh, so yes. Right, and then eventually you moved to Chicago to join uh, Lettuce Entertain You, which is. Um, which owns and operates about 100 restaurants in the U.S.? Um, yeah, I, th- I, I lost count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I was in Los Angeles for about seven years. I also worked with Roy Yamaguchi, who was mm-hmm. the you know my, the first Japanese chef I worked with. Although it wasn't a, it, it was again a more of a California style. With mm. he uh, was born in Japan, grew up in Hawaii, was French trained, um, and he lived in California. So and the, the whole mix uh, was shown on the menu, and mm. that and we were doing. Um, uh, creative sashimis way back then, 1982. Before Nobu yes, started uh, doing yes, jalapeno. 1982-83, we were doing spicy uh, uh, tuna, but not spicy tuna like you know it. It had fresh jalapenos and right. onions and shiso and um, yeah. and there was a lot of other you know California influences. We mm-hmm. had a we actually had a Chinese uh, smoke uh, like duck smoking box. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were doing you know Chinese influenced food and, and and just pure California food because mm-hmm. all the produce that was available. Right. Um, so all that really that eclectic mix mm-hmm. from Michael Roberts and Roy Amaguchi really kind of laid the foundation for um, mm-hmm. showing me there were no boundaries. Right. So. Uh, as far as I understand, you know, let us entertain you. You you worked as a corporate chef, yes, right. So, and then you traveled around the world, uh, including Japan, France, uh, Thailand, Italy, England, Germany, Hong Kong, Mexico, Taiwan, you name it. So, because based on your diverse influence from California cuisine, you were able to manage those things and develop new restaurants concept. Uh, yes, and. Working with Lettuce Entertaining when I moved to Chicago uh, in nineteen around nineteen eighty seven, and actually Nancy is from Chicago, and that's mm. that's where we met. Nice. Um, but I, I started working with Lettuce Entertaining as one of the uh, corporate chefs, and uh, my job, along with there was another chef named Russell Bry, uh, we were developing all the menus for all the new restaurants. So it was just whatever uh, Rich Melman, who is mm. the uh, you know founder, is very creative. Um, whatever concept we did, we'd travel to do the research. So mm. um, I, that's where I went to France, Italy, Mexico. Um, and then actually the, the first project that we worked on was going back to Los Angeles and opening up an American diner mm. called Ed DeBevix. It was uh, right on La Cienega. Mm. And uh, a Japanese restaurant group uh, came to the restaurant, really loved it and wanted to open it in Japan. So I became the kind of the food liaison uh, mm. between the what the American diner palette was and what the Japanese uh, palette was. Um, So we opened a restaurant in Osaka in 1988. Wow. So that was my first trip to Japan. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I also heard uh, on the same trip that, you know, you had a starch, like unpaid short, you know, internship with a bunch of different Japanese traditional restaurants with a translator because the company supported you to have that experience. Yes, the Japanese restaurant group. And that's when I really fell in love with the Japanese culture because they were so generous. Um, after we opened the restaurant, they kept me there for a few months and gave me an interpreter and I could go around and stage uh, nice. in, in restaurants. Um, and I could ask any questions, and uh, you know the interpreter could tell me what what was happening. What was, so that that was uh, that was a mind blowing experience right. for me, and, and just uh, I'm like I went wow. And and the first trip there, it's when I first saw there was a, we went to a sushi restaurant, and mm-hmm. they did a roll a maki uh, roll that had uh, it was a big DLT roll, mm-hmm. and this was in 1988, and that really stuck out in my mind is oh okay, you can do things. Uh, with the sushi rice that aren't necessarily traditional, mm. but it still works flavor-wise. Right. 
So, but it's a, I don't know if the company Japanese guy's intention, but you're now acting like a Japanese food ambassador. So maybe their investment worked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And、um, what's the, what do you think is、uh, the benefit of working abroad as a chef? The, the benefit of working yeah, as a chef? Yeah, working abroad. Oh, working abroad.、Yeah. Uh, uh, Just、uh, there's so much to learn. I mean, I always look at myself as a, a student forever, and、uh, with good reason because、uh, you, whenever you travel, you always see something new. There's some new flavor, new pre- preparation,、uh, new ingredient.、Um, it's just,、uh, and also the exposure you get to working with other people,、um, uh, you know, from the cult- different cultures.、Mm, right. And、uh, so. What is the, the challenges and or, and or fun working in Japanese kitchens? Because I think they have different culture compared to the one here.、Um, yes, the Japanese kitchens have a, a lot more history than、mm-hmm. uh, the American kitchens do. I mean, hundreds of years.、Um, and you can feel that or you sense it、uh, when you're there. And,、um, and there's, a lot, there's an enormous amount of respect、uh, mm-hmm. you know, for everything. Uh, there's an enormous amount of structure and organization and,、uh, and dedication.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that, was, that really stood out in, my, in precision.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the,、uh, not only just how the flavor is precise、mm-hmm. uh, and the food is very precise,、mm-hmm. uh, but just the way that it's uh, prepared, uh,、mm-hmm. the, whole, the whole process、uh, right. you know, is very precise.、Mm-hmm. So the kitchen is set up differently? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, in a sense. I mean, there is. I mean, Western kitchens also have a hierarchy,、mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. So, yeah, there is the path you know, that you travel.、Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our kitchen actually is set up very different because it's kind of a combination of the two cultures.、Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and there's, you know, it's, it really takes a balancing act to make that all work.、Mm-hmm. Right. And、uh, you, you learned that you had worked at sushi, restaurant, teppanyaki. Grill restaurant, tempura, kaiseki. Sounds like a, the whole set of <laughs> Japanese cuisine. Yeah, I mean, I spent time in, you know, in, in was observing.、Mm-hmm. Um, and、uh, I mean, again, I'm not a master sushi chef.、Uh, and I never claim to be. I'm not Japanese.、Um, I'm not trying to be.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm an American chef.、Um, but I've, you know, had a lot of experience、uh, with the different foods and flavors,、uh, mm-hmm. so I, I feel confident in working、mm-hmm. um, you know, within all the idioms. Right. Okay. And then when you, come, come back, you know, came back, you decided to open Oya in Boston in 2007. And why Japanese? Because based on your experience, you could have done any, any kind of restaurant, right?、Uh, yes. Uh, and, and that's a great question.、Um, the first two restaurants I worked at in California. Uh, to me, were, they were very elevated,、uh, creative flavors,、um, uh, kind of very, very special,、um, unique kind of restaurants.、Mm-hmm. And as I、uh, started working over the next probably 15, 20 years,、uh, I did a lot more mainstream food,、mm-hmm. which I love just as much. I、mm-hmm. mean, you know, things like American Diners and Let Us Entertain You. We, Did a lot of different Italian restaurants, French,、mm-hmm. uh, barbecue, seafood restaurants.、Um, we did actually a, a restaurant that was considered a high end Mexican restaurant called、mm-hmm. Hat Dance,、um, which was in Chicago. And I set up a,、um, a sashimi or a raw bar, really, but it was a combination of、uh, the influence of Japan, Korea,、uh, Peru, and Mexico. So it was all these raw fish、uh, mm-hmm. uh, dishes that were. Influence with all these、uh, 
uh, flavors. Um, so that was, in a sense, a precursor to, to, mm. to, oh, yeah, I mean, that was another part, you know, other than being in Japan. Mm. Um, and these were my creative uh, ideas. So uh, the foundation had been uh, put down. I even talked to Rich Melman about doing a restaurant based mm. on that, and he, he felt like the, it, the public wasn't ready for it. Mm. Um, so that was around 1989, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so... I stayed with Lettuce Entertainer for seven years. Then after that, I left and started my own consulting mm. company. That's, that was prior to opening Oya, so that right. was for about, I think, about 12 years. Mm. And I, then I went back, and I was traveling not all, all over, not only all over the U.S., but also all, um, back to Europe. I mm. did a lot of work in London and, and France and Germany, mm. um, and, uh, and also in Asia. I did some restaurants for some people in uh, Hong Kong and uh, uh, were, well... Uh, I mean, I have traveled to Thailand and, and Taiwan. I haven't actually opened any restaurants there, mm-hmm. but I, I did a few uh, right. in Hong Kong with a restaurant group mm-hmm. there. So based on you know experience at uh, Let Us Entertain You and your consulting, how many restaurant concepts did you develop or help to develop? Um, well, I've been part of opening probably close to 60 restaurants, um, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that spans everything. Um, it's individual owners. When I was consulting, it's uh, restaurants would let us entertain you. Mm. Uh, I think the combination of those two uh, is, and that's a lot of restaurants too. <laughs> to, uh, and I'm tired. So. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so eventually you decided to open. Uh, oh yeah. So, why again? Why is Japanese food? Well, um, originally we we were going to open the restaurant. I remember this was um, probably. In the late 1997, 98, um, I was reading in Hong Kong and, and out of the U.S., there were uh, these kind of underground restaurants in mm-hmm. people's houses, uh, in their homes. So we, we originally were going to open up in a, an underground restaurant mm-hmm. at, oh yeah, in our house, okay. and we were gonna, just going to take a room and turn it into a little counter. Mm-hmm. But then when we talked, we, we were in a little town, we called up and just started asking questions about the health department and everything we just realized that we don't think it would be a good idea mm. you know to take on that the legal risks and, and you know the, didn't want to just put ourselves in a bad situation um so uh why japanese um i've when i fell in love with the japanese culture um, what i loved about the flavors of japan were um how how much was accomplished in in one bite mm. and so that really you know, I, I thought of taking that uh, thought and and then expanding on that. Mm. Um, the most important part of the oh yeah to me is our su- sushi rice. Mm. Uh, even though we have a lot more than sushi, um, but the, our sushi rice is very a traditional uh, method. And um, as we uh, spoke about the other day, the um, the Japan's no different than any other country, and everyone has their own way of doing their rice and mm. you know and, and flavoring things and all that. There's not you know a, a set standard. Mm-hmm. Um, like Italy and all the regions with pasta and all that. Right. Um, but I thought the Japanese flavors and taking that format uh, to me was a great canvas uh, mm. to take all the flavors that I liked uh, mm. to work with because I really like strong um, uh, and uh, hesitate to use the word umami, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I'm really drawn towards that, the really mm. bold, strong flavors. Right. So chilies are... are um, you know, fish sauce, mm-hmm. uh, the different soy variations and soy right. sauce. So just in case for listeners who are not familiar with the word umami, umami is a savory taste, uh, fifth taste after a salty, sweet, bitter, sour. Yes. Right. So, and then it's it's becoming 
kind of common term, but it's, it's really easy to say, but not easy to actually express it, utilize it. Yeah, it's hard to conceptualize it, but I think when um, when we talk to our staff, I, I try to put it in uh, in terms that they can understand it. So um, I'll often use a, an example of uh, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, mm-hmm. when uh, he was not only was a great individual player, but he elevated everybody uh, mm-hmm. that he that played with him. Mm-hmm. So I look at umami, kind of the Michael Jordan of of flavor, mm-hmm. where what it does is take all the other flavor. And, uh, and elevates it. Uh, and so I think that um, it, it makes it a little more clear to understand because right. it's not as, from a pure flavor standpoint, it's not, it's not necessarily salty, sweet, sour, mm. bitter. Um, it just elevates all those. Right. That's very really true. Like, uh, say, parmigiano and there's a saltiness and umami. Yes. I think they have to be together. Yeah, uh, a- absolutely. And then, you know, when I think of... Um, uh, using different flavors or interchanging flavors. So if mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I think um, miso uh, to me uh, is very similar uh, to Parmesan. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, and it's uh, it ha- just the fermentation of both of them, mm-hmm. and that's the umami. But but I I find that you can use both of those, and it can still taste Japanese. But you're using Parmesan, mm-hmm. and maybe you don't taste the Parmesan, but it elevates uh, the miso. Right. Okay. So that's very interesting. And uh, I think uh, let's take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, what kind of food uh, you serve at Oya. Okay. So please stay with us. The National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. 
You are listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Tim Cushman, who is the chef owner of Oya, the award winning Japanese restaurant in Boston and in New York, which just opened last month. So,、um, what is the meaning of Oya? Uh, the mean, that's a good question. The meaning of Oya、uh, involves my wife Nancy and myself. We were,、uh, when we were trying to think of, we hadn't thought of a name for the restaurant. And we、uh, were, were eating in a sushi restaurant and we forgot to order something. And we both at the same time said,、uh, Oh, we forgot to order that or let's order that. And we both went, Oya.、Oh, <laughs> and, and, and it was one of those napkin moments. And then we started writing on the napkin different、uh, spellings and,、mm. and, uh, and it. Just stuck with us, and we did some research and you know, make sure, find out what it said. And the first thing we did, we looked in a Japanese dictionary, and the first thing it said was gee whiz.、Uh, there was a lot of other definitions for it, but we thought, okay, that sounds like fun.、Mm-hmm. So it, it, and to me, it just,、um, we, the restaurant is meant to be fun. Um, mm-hmm. And so it really I fit with、uh, the vibe that we wanted to have in the restaurant. Right. I think it's working. <laughs> right. So,、um, <clears throat> what kind of food、uh, do you serve at Oya? I mean,、uh, in Boston and New York, basically, this food is the, the same concept?、Uh, yes, yes. It's,、uh, yeah, it's through my eyes、uh, or through my palate.、Uh, in, in Boston, we actually have a, a large a la carte menu.、Um, mm-hmm. In New York, we're, we're doing、uh, tasting menus.、Mm-hmm. Um, But it's,、uh, it, conceptually, it's the same、mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the format of、uh, the progression of flavors、uh, mm-hmm. in the tasting menus, is, is the similar, same approach. Okay. So, do you call it、uh, um, contemporary Japanese cuisine?、Uh, yes, yeah, yes, I would call it that.、Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, I, whenever we, it, the tasting menus themselves, 50% of it is sushi, but the other 50% isn't. And、uh, when we're working on new nigiri ideas,、mm-hmm. because we don't do rolls or maki rolls,、um, right. the,、uh, and it's, it's all nigiri one bite,、mm-hmm. uh, I, the one rule I have is that it has to work with the rice. That's the、mm-hmm. most important thing. Right, because as you said earlier, it's the foundation of Japanese cuisine、yes. and your canvas. Yes.、Right. But you, know, you could have done maybe sushi rolls because it's so popular here, but、uh-huh. why, why you didn't?、Um, I, think, I, I think for the. And mostly when you get rolls, you、mm-hmm. don't see what's in、uh, the roll.、Uh, okay.、Um, you do if it depends how it's presented, you、right. can see some of it.、Mm-hmm. But I think、uh, the, for the flavors that I wanted to use, where I wanted to、uh, highlight the, or have the fish、mm. you know, really be the,、uh, or whatever is on there, because we don't have just fish, we have vegetables and,、right. and uh, meats and、mm-hmm. things that we put on sushi. But whatever was on the rice, that was the feature,、mm. and then anything in,、uh, along with the rice, and then、mm. anything that was an additional flavor to it、mm. had to work with both of those. That was, that's the rule that, that I use. So, any of the embellishments of flavor that I use,、mm. um, the, the rice and the, say it's、um, tuna,、mm. uh, you have to taste that, and、mm. that, that has to be the winner. Bye. Okay. Yeah, by the way,、uh, you know, I didn't mention earlier for listeners, but nigiri means、uh, sushi. Basically, here, like a small bowl of rice topped with、uh, rice sushi. And I found a little interesting history of nigiri, how it happened. And、uh, so, basically,、uh, it was born in the 19th century.、Uh, it's called also Edomai sushi because it、uh, came from Edo period in Tokyo. And it was a product of a booming economy and a culture at that time in Tokyo. And、uh, Edo people lived like New Yorkers and working and playing very hard and then had a very busy lifestyle. As a result of the many fast food businesses, it was 
you know, by very becoming successful. And uh, so she was one of them. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I'm not a master uh, sushi chef. I you know didn't train with master sushi chefs. Um, and, and my understanding of, of how sushi came about, or you know, mm. was discovered, so to speak, um, goes back. I think like 800 years or more back mm. to Southeast Asia, mm. where they would use uh, lacto-fermented rice to preserve fish. Mm. And then, as time went by and it kind of worked its way into Japan, and it was right around the Edo period. I think it was before that where they started what rice vinegar was invented, mm. and uh, people because the, I think the smell of the lacto-fermented rice in the fish was kind of strong, mm. um, so they started combining. Uh, cutting down on the time that the rice was fermented mm. and starting adding in rice vinegar to it and then eventually it turned over just to just um, cooking the rice and mm. then adding the vinegar to it to get that sour fermented flavor mm, uh, so and and that that was right around the Edo period when when that whole transition was mm. made um, and which was you know I found a fascinating right, uh, fact. right on time yeah the culture <laughs> yes right all right and uh, by the way I think uh, the sushi rice you know that vinegar I mean the sushi rice basically uh, now the, this existing time it's uh, salt um, sugar mm-hmm. and vinegar yes. So I think it really supports umami too, like we spoke earlier. Yes. Right. So and a- yes, and um, when we cook our, uh, our the rice for our restaurant, we use two different kinds of rices uh, that we combine. Um, one is a little fresher crop; the other one's a little drier, mm-hmm. uh, meaning it's uh, it, it, they absorb moisture differently. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a real subtle var- variance of texture. And then, f- and when we cook the rice, we make a kombu dashi, which is a seaweed dashi. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually, well, there's a lot of different dashi. Um, the most common one, I guess you'd call it, has bonito and kombu mm-hmm. in it. Right. Uh, but we d- use a kombu, and kombu is really loaded with umami. Mm, the glutamic uh, acid. Yes, and, and right. so that and starts the umami addition to the rice, and then we, you know, take we and uh, when we warm up our vinegar and salt and sugar, to uh, we also put some kombu in the vinegar. Mm. So the vinegar gets infused with a little bit of kombu also. So when we mix the vinegar into the rice, um, mm. you, you just get you know a little a little umami going there. Mm. Right, and uh, the other thing about umami is it this doesn't add up; it multiplies. Uh, yes. And and sometimes, especially with kombu too, I th- I almost look at um, umami sometimes as tannic, almost like when you drink a red wine, because mm. um, to me tannins uh, give you a little bit of dryness, uh, mm. you know, on your palate, and I get that. Um, I can tell when kombu is in something because I can I I get that and and I relate that to umami, mm. but it's it's very similar to the effect of tannins in red wine mm. have on your tongue. Right. And uh, make you crave more. Yes, yes, yeah, makes food craveable. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> All right. So now uh, let's take a look at some of the dishes at, that you serve at Oya, okay. New York. So I was uh, uh, thinking, I had a dinner last week and I, I still visualize and I get hungry again. <laughs> <laughs> a wild king salmon tataki nigi with tomato confit, smoked salt, onion aioli. So this is a very creative unique combinations of ingredients and also full of umami. Yes. Right. Um, and that dish, the inspiration to that um, it was um, actually a comfort food flavor, mm. which was uh, smoked salmon or lox with bagels and, and cream cheese. Mm. Uh, and so what we do with the tomato is um, 
to kind of get a consistent tomato flavor, we use extra virgin olive oil and tomato. We take the seeds and, and uh, skins off the tomato and mm -hmm. uh, very slowly cone feet or, or cook uh, mm -hmm. the tomato in the olive oil. And it softens. It brings the sweetness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the umami of the tomato out a little more. And then the smoked salt is a... Uh, it's a uh, salt that's sea salt that's smoked over seaweed, mm. um, and so we use we sprinkle a little bit of that on the tomato, and then we we make our own uh, mayonnaise there. And what we do, um, a, a trick I learned a long time ago when I learned to make a Caesar salad, was when you make a, a dressing that has eggs and oil in it, you know, um, uh, that uh, emulsification. Um, We'd put hot water, and it kind of sets uh, the dressing um, a lot better. Hmm. So when we make our mayonnaise, we actually use the hot dashi and uh, uh, and add that to the to the mayonnaise mixture, and it gives it a little dash and umami boost. Right. Again, it fills in uh, flavor holes, as I like to call them. And, and I think that's to me when I think of umami, and um, and when I've reached uh, a complete flavor, or I haven't reached a complete flavor, mm. and I always uh, talk with my staff about this, is you're filling in flavor holes. So when mm. you taste something, is it a complete flavor? If it isn't, then what does it need? And a lot of times, j just the umami addition or something with an umami mm. uh, uh, um, part or it, w something with umami in it, right. you know, completes that flavor. Mm. Um, but uh, so... Going back to that dish, um, so you're really getting a smoke flavor. You're getting the, um, in this case, the wild king salmon, and we actually torch the f uh, fish a little bit with a really hot torch, mm -hmm. uh, just slightly, and that also gives a slight smoky flavor uh, to it, and a different than the than the sea salt. So mm -hmm. you have two forms of smokiness, um, and it also warms up the fats in the salmon slightly, so it uh, brings out the you know flavor of the salmon a little more mm -hmm. also. Um, and then we garnish that with some uh, negi uh, and green onion and negi is Tokyo leek, which is very mm -hmm. similar um, to, to um, leeks, which I think everyone's familiar with, or, or green onion. It's an onion flavor. Right. So you have onions, smoked salmon, and uh, and and mayonnaise essentially so right. well it looks you know if you just look at the menu it sounds like just playful but there's yeah. so many reasons that you put them together uh, no there, there is um there's it is very playful um you know we always say we take what we do very seriously mm. but we don't take ourselves seriously uh so we like to have fun with the flavors and be adventurous mm -hmm. but it has to work um yeah i, I always kind of in a funny way, uh, or at least I think it's funny. Um, I always think of uh, it reminds me of a, of a Japanese w way of doing things. But Coco Chanel, when mm -hmm. she'd go out, would go out. Well, she'll take off one piece of jewelry. So I, I think of that too. It's like we'll push, we'll push the flavor and the combinations to a to a certain point, mm -hmm. and when we know we've gone too far, we'll take off that one thing, and usually that settles in, then it becomes the the, the final dish. Mm. Kind of went off on a tangent there, but right. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So, do you have any other example of your signature dishes here? Um, I, I think one, uh, yeah, I could, uh, I, I know we're limited to time. I could yeah. you know, <laughs> mention a lot of them. One is the oyster that we serve there. It's a Kumamoto oyster, mm -hmm. um, and it combines uh, three different influences. One, I, I like the, I love the French way of eating oysters with mignonette. Um, it's nice and simple. I like oysters by themselves, but mignonette, I think, adds to it, and you still taste the oyster in Japan. 
simply when you get it, most times you'll get either a lemon or ponzu. Mm. Um, and then it's also this uh, Kumamoto comes from the West Coast. So it has the uh, melon and cucumber notes. So what we do is take watermelon and use a melon baller and cut them into really tiny pearl-sized balls and briefly marinate that in ponzu for 30 seconds. And then we make a cucumber mignonette. Mm. Uh, so... What you're getting is uh, the ponzu flavor. You're getting the watermelon and the cucumber that um, uh, uh, echo the, the natural flavors of the oyster uh, and, uh, and in the mignonette with that, that French flavor that I like. So it's really combining a lot of things. And, mm. But ultimately, you still end up tasting the minerality of the oyster in the end. Right. Yeah, and actually the dish was beautifully presented, like any other dishes. But, you know, every single dish tastes somewhat... Uh, almost like comfort food and you know you sense hmm, I tasted it somewhere before and feel you know comforted so is that something you know one of the philosophies you have for uh, recipe development it's not really something that I've thought about um, uh, I really go on what I like and and I think everybody likes food that tastes good I mean that sounds kind of simple but um, it's uh, uh, you know I, it, it's food it's flavors that I like, and I think I even I don't even think about that, but I do tap into like comfort food flavors and and real satisfaction mm-hmm. um, uh, and craveability. Uh, you know, flavors that you crave. It's like I want you know, you want to, hopefully when you come in, you taste it. It's like you crave and you want to go back and taste it some more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, and again, uh, that's not like a conscious effort. Okay, you know that's how we're doing it, and this is a written down approach. I think it's more just it is just what how I do it. Right. Okay. And do you have any rules that you never do in developing recipes? Because it's, you still have to kind of stay within the Japanese yes. concept, right? Uh, yes. Because well, our staff, uh, we actually have our staff works on all new ideas uh, with us. So it's not just me. It's, uh, I, I like to have the staff participate in um, working on new ideas. So I, I never say never. Um, mm. and, and so, but there are you know, certain things that don't work within the flavor profile or or sparingly you know Mm -hmm. they they can uh and mostly dairy products like cream um or butter Mm -hmm. uh if it gets too heavy you know and that it goes in that direction and you're tasting something creamy Mm -hmm. it doesn't really fit into i mean i love cream and i love butter Mm -hmm. but but uh, just it's not really something that you know fits within the framework of, Mm -hmm. of what we're uh, trying to do, or something like blue cheese. Although we do have um, a dish that uh, we don't have it on the menu, but we have it off menu. And mm-hmm. and every each night we we usually have many dishes that aren't on either you know any of the menus mm-hmm. um, because we have a lot of there's a lot of vegetarians and you know uh, you know people that you know, love certain things. And so we'll, we'll always have things off menu that we can you know add into a menu. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know we have a lot of flexibility with that. Um, but the one dish I was going to talk about, it's a French cheese, a triple cream cheese mm. that we uh, marinate. It's, it's kind of taking the miso marinated technique of black cod, mm-hmm. but we do it with cheese. Huh. So it has miso and sake and mirin, and we wrap it in cheesecloth and bury it in the miso for 12 days. Wow. And uh, we serve it with an aged sake. Mm. But it, it, the cheese itself, when you first taste it, um, it's a great cheese, but you know, a milder flavored. But once it, it sits in the miso for 12 days, it just like kicks up the the flavor you know profile unbelievable and and it gets a lot really funky you Mm. know you can really only take a couple bites um 
but it goes awesome with the uh, the aged sake. It's an nice. eight year eight year old aged sake. Okay. Um, so it's really just meant to take like two tiny bites and a sip mm. of the sake. But it's like bam in your mouth. Right. Well, I think uh, you know your kind of lighthearted attitude towards Japanese food. I think it's very inspiring to Japanese and non-Japanese chefs because you are, you know the Japanese traditional cuisine. It's hard to cross the border. Yes. But you are pushing the envelope. So. Yes, and and that and it is, um, and, and I always tell our staff when we're working on new ideas, you know, include as much uh, Japanese flavors as you can into it. And, mm-hmm. and again, we're very adventurous. I love really spicy food, so we have. You know, all different kinds of chilies that we'll use on different dishes, uh, you know, Thai chilies, jalapeno, dried mm. dried Mexican chilies, um, Japanese uh, chili powders. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of different directions that we can go in, but mm-hmm. I always keep pulling them back, um, you know, because our tendency is to go in, into a familiar zone, which is, you know, I mean, the, we- the Western cooks mm-hmm. and stuff, which is more like French influence. Right. Um, but again, I, I never, I, I say in the beginning, I say I don't hold anything back. You know, mm-hmm. if you can do something that, that works and blows us away mm-hmm. and, and it has cream or blue cheese or anything in it, then fine, go right. for it. And, but, you know, we just, just has to work. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't, I say, okay, but mm-hmm. you know, I'll usually, uh, and I'll guide through, you know, the, as they're working on ideas and stuff and say, you know, this part works, this part doesn't, mm-hmm. and then offer suggestions of what, how they could uh, adapt it to make it work. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you serve uh, two tasting menus at uh, New York Goya yes. and one is 18 course omakase mm-hmm. and uh, that includes a variety of fresh seasonal contemporary sushi and sashimi dishes followed by cooked savory courses and desserts for $185. And the other one is 20 course menu for $245. That's uh, in addition, you have, um, the unique and the seasonal ingredients to the, the first omakase. So it sounds like, you know, American people are interested in Japanese cuisine and they're willing to pay. You know, it's not cheap, and they're looking for the experience. Yes. So, do you, do you think American palate is really ready for the traditional? And uh, they understand traditional, and then on top, now it's a next level of Japanese cuisine, right? Yes, and, and I think both. Uh, the answer is both as more traditional uh, Japanese foods come to the United States uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know we we are you know the Americans get to see uh, what's really available that there's a lot of mm-hmm. cooked foods there's a lot of other styles of uh, food in mm-hmm. Japan that you haven't seen here yet mm-hmm. um, but I I know uh, the and as far as the creative uh, Japanese food too, I, I think then I think there's uh, room for both, and I think there really there's going to be a big explosion, and mm. uh, and as, especially as chefs you know discover more and more about Japan and the products and the ingredients, I think you're going to see a lot more of that influence in restaurants, and mm. I think you know people at home just with the exposure of the world, mm. you know, with the internet and you know social media and everything, um, I think. All that is going to pique people's curiosities, and they're they're getting more adventurous, right. which is great. And also, heard that Japanese people, like traditionalists, even really enjoy your food at in Boston and New York too. Yes, and and that's actually huge compliments to us when um, you know we've had our Japanese guests come in because I always picture the restaurant. It's you know when I when before we opened, I always envisioned what it would be that it would be accepted in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, but using my, my Western um, sensibilities and but combining that with the traditional Japanese 
flavors and, and, and methods. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal was to, I want this restaurant to, that if we opened in Japan, it would be accepted there mm-hmm. and, and, and people would like it a lot. And we've had, you know, a, a lot of our Japanese guests that have come in have said exactly that and mm-hmm. say, you know, this really, I can really taste Japan in this, but I can taste, you know, your flavors added into it and it, and it works. Mm, so maybe, oh yeah, Japan is coming. I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today, Tim, and uh, good luck with Oya New York and hopefully Oya Tokyo. Yes, and, and thanks <laughs> thanks for having us today. I mean, it was a lot of fun, and we feel very uh, lucky and humbled to be in New York. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, you know, we, we hope we do really well here, but uh, thanks for having us. Sure. So, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Oya, please visit Oya uh, Restaurant, Oya.Restaurant, which is uh, O-Y-A.Restaurant. And if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you, go, you can also reach me at akikokatayama.com. Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.